Well, welcome everybody. Uh, my name's Chris. We're so glad you're here uh, at the JAR today. And uh, what I'd like you to do is if you are a middle school student, so if you're in 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, uh, we have a middle school experience, a way for kids to kind of grow in their own way that way. And so if you want to, you can go to uh, the door right back there. Sarah Jones is back there, and she would love to uh, kind of hang out with you and help you grow closer to God. Or if you're like, I'd like to hear what you have to say, then you can stay here too. But I can tell there are several that are leaving, so that means they're done with me. Okay, well, hey, let's move on. Uh, if you would, I'd like you to pull out this card that was in your program. It's called our Connect card. And this is just a way for us to get uh, better connected with you. And so if you can fill that out, we would appreciate it. And um, we'll uh, receive it uh, at the end of the celebration. If you're more of a techie person, uh, you can just go ahead and uh, go on the app page uh, for the app store, the JAR Community Church. And uh, we can do that that way as well. Well, we're in the middle of a series uh, on the story of this woman's name, Ruth. And Ruth is a book of the Bible in the Old Testament, uh, the first half of the Bible. So there's two kind of uh, parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, the first, and the second is the New Testament. And her story is in the first part of uh, God's book. Um, and... She has an amazing story, and we've been looking at it for the past uh, couple of weeks. And uh, I thought a great way for us to kind of get everyone caught up, because we're finally kind of getting back in the swing of things, is to uh, kind of show you something that will tell you the story of Ruth in just a, a couple of minutes, and we'll do that kind of in a unique way. So if you look at the side screens, we'll uh, check this out. And now, the story of a Ruth. Once upon a time, there was a woman named Ruth. She wasn't an Israelite. She was from Moab, a country Israel didn't like very much. But Ruth, she married an Israelite. As our story begins, Ruth, her Israelite husband, and her husband's mother were all living in the Moab because there was a famine in Israel. A uh, famine? You mean no food? Right, and no food. So there they are in the Moab when, oh no, Ruth's husband dies. I don't know what happened. Maybe he got hit by a bus. I don't think they had buses back then. Okay, maybe he got hit by a cow. Jester. A goat? Jester. An ill-tempered iguana? Jester. Anyway, he's dead. He's gone. No more husband. Now, Ruth's mother-in-law, her name is Naomi. She doesn't have a husband either. He died a while back. Probably another iguana. Jester! Or something. Naomi doesn't really belong in the Moab. She's an Israelite. So as soon as the famine ends, she decides to go back to Israel. Of course, she is old and has no husband and no money. So she'll have to beg for food. Her life will be sad. Well, guess what? Ruth doesn't want that to happen. She loves Naomi. So even though Moab is her home, Ruth says to Naomi, I will come with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? I'm telling you, that part makes me cry every time. 
Yeah, that's really something. It gets you right in the gut. A anyway, this amazing Ruth, she leaves her home and goes to Israel with Naomi to take care of her. Every day she follows the workers in the fields to pick up little bits of grain to, to share with Naomi. Oh, I'm losing it, but... But get this, this is the best part. So she's picking up a bits of grain in a field that belongs to a wealthy man named Boaz, who happens to be related to Naomi's old husband. Okay, now some of you are like, I'd like to watch the rest of it, and then we could leave early, okay? But uh, you pay me, so, uh, you know, I have, to, I have to talk a little bit. And so um, we're going to talk about uh, today um, this relationship between Boaz and Ruth. But the, the problem is, is that Naomi kind of complicates things quite a bit. Again, uh, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever had a mother-in-law in your life before? Go ahead, raise your hand if you have one. Okay. How many of you have ever had a complicated relationship with... No, 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 don't raise your hand. No, no. Some are like very eager. Okay, a complicated relationship, yeah, with your mother-in-law. Well, uh, the first time I ever met my mother-in-law, uh, I wanted to make a really good first impression. And so I took her and my wife Jennifer, well, we were dating at the time, my girlfriend at the time, uh, took them out to eat. And I cleaned up the car, I got the air freshener, got all the smelly socks and, you know, all that kind of stuff out of there. And then I put on some polo, because back in the day, if you wanted to smell good, you put some polo on. I don't know what they put on now. But uh, anyway, so I had this polo, and we get in the car, and we start taking off, and we get to uh, the restaurant, and Jen goes, my mom almost threw up because she's allergic to cologne and perfume. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this isn't going very well, but I can't get the polo off now. You know, like it's all up in me. And, uh, you know, so, so that's it. And so um, I, I thought, well, if I got her back home as quickly as possible, that would help. And so I aggressively drove a little bit more on the way back. And she complained about my driving and we finally get back. And I mean, it, it was just horrible kind of experience. And after that first encounter... My mother-in-law, Nancy, was not a big fan of me. In fact, before me, uh, Jen was dating a pre-med student by the name of Chad. Ugh. And he was exactly who Nancy wanted. He was very clean-cut. He had a strong, fundamental kind of Christian experience. He knew all the etiquettes. He never said ain't. And I said that often during that time. Uh, her plan was for Jen and Chad to go to medical school together, become doctors, get married, and give children to her. And then I stepped into Jennifer's life. And I ruined Nancy's world. Now, to be honest, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law were not very keen about our relationship together. 
In fact, they tried to complicate things, like maybe you've experienced with a mother-in-law. They tried to complicate things by basically telling Jen, kick him to the curb and find someone more like Chad. That was their counsel to their daughter. But Jen was young and dumb. And she didn't listen to her parents' counsel. And she listened to what she thought was God telling her to choose me. And so today, Chad is a surgeon in Michigan. He's married to a doctor. Jennifer became a doctor. And my mother-in-law got stuck with me. Now, the truth is, is that we have a great relationship today. In fact, Jen will often say, I think my mom loves you more than me. You know, she's always trying to do things. She sent me two Facebook messages this week, you know, just seeing how life is going for me. But the counsel that she gave 25 years ago was questionable at best. Have you ever received some questionable counsel before? Someone gave you some advice and you weren't sure if it was good or bad, whether you should take it or whether you should refuse it. Maybe you got some questionable counsel about a relationship in your life. Maybe you had some questionable counsel about your marriage. Maybe some questionable counsel about your kids. Maybe some questionable counsel about your job. And I have a feeling that all of us, as we're here today, we would have to say, you know what, there has been a time in my life where I've received some questionable counsel that wasn't so great. And that kind of leads us to our big idea this morning, and it's this. Be careful about questionable counsel. It doesn't mean you should run away from it, but it means you should be careful. And you might even put the word very in there. Be very careful about questionable counsel. And so starting in verse 1, in our story today, Ruth received some very questionable counsel from her mother-in-law. Let's look at it. It'll come on the side screens. One day, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? In other words, Ruth... We don't have a plan for your future. We need to figure something out, and hopefully they're nice enough that they'll let the mother-in-law come with, the ex-mother-in-law. But we got to figure out a long-term plan. And then, all of a sudden, she goes, Aha! There is someone who could actually help us. We know who this is. Next verse. Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours. In other words, don't we have this long lost kind of relative that's connected to my ex-husband named Boaz? And he owns some fields there. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, let me tell all of the men who are here today why Ruth finds Boaz so attractive. This is the reason why, men. One He loves the Lord, and two, he's got a job, okay? And 
for any of you who are single and you're looking to find someone, I'm telling you, any Christ follower who is a female is looking for two things. One, that you love the Lord, and two, that you got a job. So you should write that down if you don't have those two things together as action points for you this week. And so Naomi looks at Boaz and says, he loves the Lord, he, he has a good job, maybe I could be a matchmaker for the two of you. Now, if you're a parent right now, this next part is going to be a little uncomfortable. Just a little. Look at what Naomi says. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, some of you don't like where this is going if you're a parent, do you? Now, if you're single, you're like, hey, this is looking good. What's going to happen? Something's going to happen here. But if you have children, this is not the type of counsel that you want to give to them. I mean... How many of you women who have a daughter would tell your daughter, we're running out of time. You need to get dressed up and put on some smelly good stuff and have a few drinks and then make your move and maybe something will happen. And folks, this is more like a current soap opera. You know, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives. But it happened 3,000 years ago and it's in the Bible. This is it. And the story goes on. When he lies down, folks, if you're single, you should never be in a horizontal position with another person, okay? Like if someone faints and they fall down, don't get down horizontal with them. Call 911, okay? Let somebody else deal with that, all right? When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And then what's the next sentence say? What's it say? Let's read it out loud. Ah! It's in the, I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. He will tell you what to, I bet he will tell you what to do. He'll have no problem telling you what to do. I mean, how many of you parents would ever tell your single daughter... Well, why don't you go camping with this guy, wait till he has a couple of beers, and then go into the tent and snuggle up beside him by his sleeping bag. And then when he rolls over, just ask him, tell me what to do. Now, folks, at best, this is questionable counsel. And what is our big idea for this morning? Be careful about... Questionable counsel. Well, Ruth goes on. I will do whatever you say. Now, up until this point, you've got to realize that Boaz has only ever seen Ruth with grimy clothes, pits under, you know, white or uh, wet under the big pits under her armpits, and like grimy, uh, you know, nasty, dirty fingernails, because what's she been doing? 
She has no money. She has no food. There's no one to care for. So she's been going behind all of Boaz's workers. And as they would drop maybe some grain, she was picking it up for herself. But Naomi says, girlfriend, now it's time to do an extreme makeover. We got to make you look good. We got to get you all dolled up. And then maybe when he sees how beautiful you actually are, He'll notice you, and the way he's going to notice you, we're going to send you to the threshing floor. Now, we don't use that phrase very much in our culture, and sometimes we read something in the Bible and we skim over it. So let me tell you about the threshing floor. When it was time for harvest, what would happen is a farmer would take the grain and would throw it up in the air, and as it came down, it would separate the wheat from the shaft, And everything that was left there was what they were going to get paid for. And what you got to remember is that there had been a famine for 10 years. This is the first time that they've had a harvest that is profitable and that is plentiful. And this is where everyone goes to get paid. They're at the threshing floor. All the farmers are coming in. It's like silos all around. And the farmers are there and there's all kinds of people and uh, some of the women of the night would come there too because they know they're going to get paid. And if they get paid, I'll get paid. And so everyone's there. And Naomi sends them kind of to the club on Friday night. And everyone's got paid. They're there and you can do this. Well, Naomi then gives advice to Ruth. Go to that place where all this activity is going on. And as a dad, as I was reading this this week, I was thinking to myself, this is not a good idea. Like, don't send your young daughter to this place. I mean, I don't think Naomi is giving sinful counsel, but I think it's very questionable counsel. And we must be careful about questionable counsel. Now, what I love about the story of Ruth and what I love about the entire story of the Bible is that God is not afraid about messy stories. He doesn't get upset about that at all. He doesn't mind being in the mess. He doesn't mind difficult stories with difficult people. He reaches into the story. God never abandons the story and we write it out. That's why I think it's one proof why the Bible is true. Is because if you were going to write something to get people connected to, you wouldn't have all these misfits in there. You would have some really nice stories of people, but that's not it. And God's always willing to get into the mess of stories rather than to abandon what that story is. And so we all realize that because all of our lives are messy. There isn't a single person in this gym today that doesn't have a messy life. And when it's messy, God's like, you know what? I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. I'll get into the mess with you because I love you that much. Now, just by a show of hands, how how many of you have ever received some bad advice and you went ahead and you did it and then afterwards you thought, maybe that wasn't so good? Anyone had? Yeah. Uh, We've all received questionable counsel when we do something. We're like, you know what, I'm not so sure that was the right thing to do. And you start thinking, is this good counsel or bad counsel? Did I do a good thing or do I do a bad thing? Was it a wise thing? Was it a holy thing? And eventually, we're just like, I don't know. Because this is what is true about life. It's unclear. 
Think about your life. Most of our life is more unclear than it is clear. And this is found especially when it comes to relationships, because relationships get messy and it's not always so clear. It seems very unclear, and especially when it comes to romantic relationships. And so I just want to challenge you again this morning to our big idea. Be careful, folks. Be very careful about questionable advice. Now, Boaz and Ruth are not entering into this relationship in the best possible way. They're not. But God is very gracious. And God is very patient. Because even when we flub up or mess up or screw up in this thing called life, over and above our mistakes, whatever that mistake is, whatever that mess up is, God is willing to put his loving hand down to us and to grab our hand and to gently help guide us back onto a better path. One of my favorite pictures of my oldest daughter, who's 11 now, but when she was uh, two or three, is this picture right here. And you can see that she's reaching up, but what you really see is that her father is reaching down to help her down this path. And in the same way, that's what God does with us. Regardless of how far away you've run, regardless of how some of the decisions you may have made, He will always reach down and grab your hand to help you down a better part of the path. Now, let me be clear. This does not mean it gives us permission to do whatever we want, whenever we want, to make foolish decisions, to make mistakes intentionally, to sin against God deliberately. But it is just simply acknowledging that we all have and we all will, but there is a God who is good and who is big, and He will reach down. And just as I reach down to Jordan on that day, and will guide you down gently to a better path. So don't run away from his hand when you feel it. Grab his hand. I mean, how many of you can ever look back in your life and there was something that you did and you're like, you know what, that was not right. Whatever that thing was, it was not right. But God was forgiving and generous and loving and forgiving toward you in spite of that. It doesn't mean that whatever that thing was that you did was good, but it meant that God was very, very good. And that's the whole story of Ruth. Well, in verse 6, the story goes on. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, I mean, he just got paid. And it's a big mother load of payment for all the work of the harvest during this time. So it's a good day. He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. So he has all of this grain around him because he was going to protect what his investment was. Ruth approached quietly, uncovering his feet and lay down. That's awkward. Even in the church, especially in the church, she approached him quietly, 
uncovered his feet, and then lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Now, like I said, Boaz is an older guy. We have no evidence whatsoever in Scripture that he was ever married. We have no evidence whatsoever that he was ever with another woman. Now, do you know what kind of guy would be tempted by something like this? One that is breathing. So Boaz asked, Who are you? And she said, I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my kinsman redeemer. And we talked about that. That when women would lose their husbands during this culture and they, they didn't have any money, they had no food, they would try to find someone in the family who would care for them because otherwise they would starve to death and die. And so they're like, hey, this is the kinsman redeemer. And then he replied, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Story continues. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have run after, you have not run after the younger men. Because she could have. She's younger. Boaz is old. Whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz has been touched by Ruth. Because Ruth didn't just sit on the sideline and wait to die. She actually started doing something. She's working hard. She's trying to take care of her mother-in-law. And what this whole verse, these verses, what, what it is, is basically a proposal from Ruth to Boaz. You might never be willing to ask me because you think my answer is going to be no because you're so much older than me and I'm younger and and I'm a Moabite. We don't believe in the one true God and, and you're an Israelite. But I'm telling you, if you were to propose to me, Boaz, the answer is yes. And Boaz says, I never thought I could ever land someone as beautiful as you are and as young as you are. And he's like, let's do this. And so look at what it says in verse 14. So Ruth stayed near his feet until morning. Now again, folks, I have two daughters, 11 and 9. I would not tell them, hey, go camping with this guy, wait until he has a couple of drinks, and then sneak into his tent, and then lay at his feet until morning. So the question becomes for us this morning Did Boaz and Ruth cross the line? Now, there is no indication that they did, but this is what they did at midnight. They danced on it. They were like vigorously dancing on the line. I mean, they're like walking this tightrope, just like, whoa, this is, you're smelling good. I'm old. I haven't been married. I'm not with a woman. You're young. We're right here in this tent together. And they have no margin. And if it was my two girls, I would say, don't do that. That is dumb. Please, please 
don't ever, ever do that. Don't cross the line. You need a boundary. You ever been to a, a place where there are, there's a boundary, like between two countries? I uh, used to go to many different mission trips to Tijuana, Mexico, and we would stay uh, in San Diego and between San Diego and Tijuana, there is kind of two uh, kind of boundaries there. There's the initial boundary, and then there's the actual kind of border. You see, there's a, a boundary before you ever get to the line that is the border wall. The first one kind of looks like this. So it's kind of this uh, dilapidated kind of uh, just fence that goes off into the ocean and it's there and it's a boundary to warn people don't go any further this is where you need to stop or you're going to be in trouble and there's going to be pain and then there is a second boundary the actual border and we have a picture of it and it is just a few hundred yards away and if you cross that one you will be arrested and prosecuted and deported Back to Mexico. Folks, you and I, we need a boundary when it comes to our sexual life. When it comes to our sexual world. Because let's say that the line is right here, the edge of this stage is the line. What we need to do is we need to actually have that first border in Mexico that is a long, long way before we ever get to it. So when we walk up and we cross this, we stop and we feel so bad and so horrible for what we did. We're like, God, I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean to do this. And we stop and we think about it. But look how much more room we have. Before we cross the line. We haven't got to the line yet. And this is true about anything when it comes to your sexual mind. We, we all have a mind. We think about it. And whether you're married or single or whatever, there has to be a boundary somewhere before you ever get to the line. If you feel bad enough about that, then you won't cross that line. I'm not going to live my life, and I've chosen not to do this. I'm not going to live my life getting all the way to here and then thinking, oh, this is, I'm not sure if this is a good idea. It's too late. You need a boundary that's here so that you have some margin. Folks, God wants us to have boundaries. Now, why does he want that? Because he doesn't like to have fun. God doesn't want you to have any fun. No fun, no enjoyment, don't do anything. That's the way God is. No. God doesn't want you to have harm. I mean, the reality is, and I see it so often when I'm counseling people, there are so many broken hearts and devastated stories of shame and guilt and condemnation. And I'm such a horrible person for what I did in this area of my life, and they become haunted by the fact that they never set any boundaries in their past. 
And I just want to say today that today, if, if you're there, you're like, wow, man, you know what? I don't even like this message right now. But it's true. Then this is what you can do. You can start afresh today and say, you know what? I'm going to put a fence before I ever get to the line. I'm going to set something there before I ever get it, wherever it is in your sexual world. Now, just for a moment, I'd like to talk to the men, and specifically any of you that are single men. In this story, first and foremost, Boaz continues to talk to Ruth as a daughter. Now, that's kind of weird. Is it because he's old and she's so much younger? It's like, hey, it's kind of a weird story here. No, 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 no. What commentators will tell us is that the real focus is is that when Boaz calls Ruth his daughter or a daughter, he's saying that, first of all, you are a daughter of God. God is her father and she is his daughter. And Boaz realized that he needs to treat her very well and loving and respectful and kind because I want my heavenly father to be pleased with the way that my behavior is towards his daughter. So single guys, when you see a girl or a woman that you're interested in, First of all, you need to identify them as a daughter of God. Because if you do, you'll see them very, very differently and not their identity in you. Secondly, I want you to see that Boaz is not looking for a good time. What he's trying to do is look for a good legacy. (laughs) It's very different to have a good time than to build a good legacy. Men, we become foolish when we look for a good time and then we overlook a good legacy. I mean, Boaz is wealthy. It's midnight. And there's this vulnerable woman at the edge of his feet. And we will always be tempted in those moments, whether you're single, married, or whatever, in those moments you'll be tempted to have a good time instead of a good legacy. But Boaz decides not to fall into this shortcut and this temptation, but he seeks God's will for his life. And I want all of you to seek God's will and not take a shortcut because it often leads to a lot of pain. Folks, all of us, every single person here, it doesn't matter what your age is, you need to be thinking about what is my legacy. What is the legacy that I'm going to give to my family? What's the legacy I'll give to my kids, to my grandkids, to the world? The decisions you make today, folks, they affect your legacy. Well, Boaz has a choice to make. He's sleeping in a bag with all of the grain, all of his investment around him. And at his feet is this beautiful young woman What is he going to do? Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz actually sends her home before dawn. 
so that no one will think that Ruth was shacking up with Boaz on the threshing floor. He wants to protect her reputation. And then he said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Now, you want to know how much six measures of barley is, right? It's 80 pounds. Thanks, Boaz. And now Ruth is carrying 80 pounds on her back, and she has to get back home. And what do we notice? Boaz is generous. This is enough to feed them for a week or longer. He's very generous to her. And then look what he does. He went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, daughter? In other words, she's like, give me the scoop. Give me some of that. Today she'd be texting. Hey, how'd it go last night? Woo, woo, get on. Some of your thumbs, you know, just going to fly off because you text so fast. You know, just text, 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 trying to figure it all out. Give me the details. Don't let anything out. And then Ruth told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You know who Boaz is? Boaz is a man who pours life into others. And my greatest hope for you here today is that you would be known as a person who pours life into others. That we would be, we would be known as a church of the jar more than the music or the teaching or the videos or anything else. We are a people who pour life into others. And so that's my take-home question for you this week, and it's this. This week, who are you going to pour life into? As you're going through your week, who are you going to pour life into? Is it someone at work? Is it a neighbor who's going through something? Is it a friend? Is it a family member? Is it a total stranger? Who is it in your life that you're going to pour your life into? And don't you understand this, that as Boaz poured into Ruth, it actually eventually, just not Ruth, but it was poured into Naomi too. And remember in chapter 1, two weeks ago, who's Naomi? I'm a bitter old lady. I'm bitter. God killed my husband. God took away my two sons. I'm bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means I'm bitter. And there's this bitter old woman, and Boaz is so generous to her that the one who felt hopeless and bitter because someone else poured into her life, now she is changed. Because Boaz is a giver, folks. And not a taker. Do you realize in life, there is no more than those two options. There are middle options. You're either a giver and everybody knows it, or everybody knows you're a taker and they talk behind your back all the time. It's one of the two. 
And then Naomi receives this 80 pounds of barley. And this is what she says to Ruth. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Basically, she's like, he's a good man. He didn't take advantage of you. I think he actually likes you. Look at all this food that we got. Actually, I think like he's into you. He's ready to BTR, you know, define the relationship. I think this is working, girl. This can happen. I, I think he's ready for you to be the fiance. And folks, Boaz didn't have to pursue Ruth. He's an older, wealthier man. He could have anyone that he wanted. But he chooses to pursue her. And in the same way, God doesn't have to pursue you, but He chooses to pursue you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to redeem your life so that you would live life to the fullest. And throughout the whole story of Ruth, we we hear Naomi say this over and over again, I need a Redeemer, I need a Redeemer, I need a Redeemer. And a Redeemer is someone who is coming from the outside to save us, to redeem us. I mean, when you are in a tight spot, when you're in trouble, when you're between a rock and a hard place, and you don't know what to do, you know what you need? You need a Redeemer. Because a Redeemer is one who does something for us that we can't do for ourselves. He does something for us we can't do for ourselves. And folks, the reality is, every single person in this room is a Ruth or a Naomi. We're lost and we're searching for something and we don't know what that is. We're in a position that we cannot save ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. And God, in His great love for you and you and you and you and you and you, God, in His great love, He said, from heaven I'm going to send down to you my own flesh who will love you and will care for you and He will redeem you back. And His name was Jesus Christ. And folks, today, Jesus wants to pursue you. And not because He has to. Not because He's like, well, God the Father told me I had to pursue you. No, no, no. He willingly gave His life on a cross because of His great love for you. He went above and beyond. And this is what you need to know. Because in our culture, sometimes we look at the cross and we see Jesus and we're like, ah, yeah, I know that story. But this is a story sometimes we forget. That if you were the only person on planet Earth when God the Father said it's time, it's time for you to take on all the sin, He would have died just for you. If you were the only person, He would have died for you because He wants to give you forgiveness and freedom and a new life filled with love. And maybe today as you were sitting there, You're like, you know what? I've never been baptized. I've never made that commitment. But I want my life to be different. I want my relationships to be different. I want something new to happen in my life. And if that's you and you're ready to get baptized, come at 530. We'll have uh, some shorts for you and um, a shirt and for you to take the plunge. And uh, if you would, if you could bring a side dish of some kind, that would be helpful. And we'll just celebrate what the ultimate Boaz, Jesus Christ himself, has done generously 
in these people's lives. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much for choosing to pursue us and to give us new life. Thank you for pursuing these 18 people long before they were ever even born and providing them today with a sense of total forgiveness and freedom and a new life and a new start. That maybe there was questionable advice that they took in the past, but now they've made the best decision they ever could of allowing Christ to be in their life. And God, thank you so much for the story of Ruth and reminding us that as we go through our world that we should be careful about questionable counsel. That rather than listening to all the noise and everyone around us, that we would seek you first of all and listen to your voice most of all. You know, maybe today God's been stirring something in your life. Maybe you're here today and you're new to this whole Christianity thing and you're like, I'm not even sure what that means, but I think I am ready to make a decision that I haven't been doing life the best way on my own. I, I need Christ in my life. And maybe you're here and you're like, Jesus, I'm tired and I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need a fresh start in my life. And if that's you this morning, I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. And don't feel self-conscious because when we pray here at the jar, we never pray alone. We always pray in unison. But that you could just repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for choosing me. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.